ia.org. The PSJs you hear on Miller and Condon and iHeartMedia Des Moines are presented in part by Nick Mick. We take care of our own. Now, here's Miller and Condon. on the FM dial. It's time for our friend David Kaplan. He joins us from Chicago this time each and every Wednesday. Centurion Stone of Iowa sponsors and Cappy joins us. Cap Trend Ken, thanks for coming on, Cap. How are you? My guys, how we doing? Doing okay. Cap, I want to ask you, how big of a topic, if at all, because sports has clearly changed 20 years ago, 30 years ago, uh, it would have made big headlines uh, with Anthony Rizzo and Albert Almora opponents uh, having a hug at first base in the top of the ninth inning. I get the fact that Almora, they honored him apparently on the video screen. But was it a topic at all, Cap? Uh, well, it's funny that you say that because the first hour and 20 minutes of our show today, we didn't come in there. You know, like you've done this for a lot of years like I have. You put your little plan together, and I have my list of stuff, and I'm like, oh, we'll talk about this, and we'll talk about that. And then I make an innocuous comment in our meeting, and our producer, Danny Zetterman, reacts to it. I'm like, that's the start of the show, and then it blows up. So they did a video tribute to Albert Almora last night. And Danny's take was, and he's a Cubs fan. He was at Game 7. He said... Albert Elmore gets a video tribute. I said, you're damn right he does. He said, that's the stupidest thing ever. He was not even a starter. And I said to him, Danny, he scored the most important run in the history of the franchise. That was the game-winning run. I know we won 8-7, to seven, but by rule, when you go ahead, the run that puts you ahead of it never gets tied again is the game-winning run. He scored it. He tagged up. It was a great tag up. That the Cubs won the World Series after 108 years, he gets the 72nd montage of his highlights. Yes, he does. And so the Rizzo hug, all of it, times are different. Yep. Do you think he should have got a video tribute? I have no problem with it. You're right about that, Cap. I mean, 2016 changes everything, right? It does. Yeah. I'm a Twins fan. Right. Gene Larkin. I love yes. Gene Larkin. <laughs> Number nine, yeah. Gene Larkin. Because of what he did. Yeah. He had the hit in Game yes. 7 to win a World Series, and Gene Larkin is one of my all-time <laughs> favorites, a guy that for all intents and purposes was a pinch hitter throughout mm. all of 1991. That's what he was. And yes, for Elmara, he scored the most important run in the last 100 years of Cubs baseball video tribute. They should have made it three minutes. How about that, Cap? <laughs> I wouldn't have had a problem if they stopped the game and said we're going to give him an hour. Yeah. If he doesn't score that, if he doesn't tag up on the deep fly from Chris Bryant to Rajay Davis, and Rajay Davis doesn't go brain dead and flat-footed catch it at the wall and kind of double clutch and go, oh, God, he's running. I don't know if Jose Ramirez is playing off the line. I don't know if Ben Zobris doubles into the corner, and I don't know if Albert Almora ever scores. We may never have won. So 
I got no issues with it. Mm. It's just, uh, and I don't either, Cap. It was just uh, when I when I saw it, it's just like, wow, sports have changed so much. This would have been such a big talker. You know, two opponents hugging at first base with the game on the line. I get that's game 17 of a buck 62, but it's just changed. So let's get to the game itself, Cap. And boy, Arietta for five innings was terrific. Got in a little bit of trouble, uh, with what? I think two outs, uh, in the fifth, but was able to get out of it. Uh, and then the bullpen took over, um, and, and did a really good job again. Uh, and, and there's our guy, Kimbrell. Yes, his hair was on fire for the first time this year, but bottom line, he got another save. The bullpen and Arietta, pretty good story. Yeah, it, look, Jake is never going to be 2015 Jake again. That's just a fact. He's aged. His velocity is nowhere near what it was. But he's also on a ridiculously cold night at Wrigley. He's that one guy in shirt sleeves. He doesn't wear long sleeves. He doesn't bundle up like he's in, you know, Antarctica, mm-hmm. and he goes out, everyone follows his lead, and you knew runs were going to be tough to come by. Taiwan Walker has really good stuff. He throws 98 miles an hour, and somehow they scratched across three runs. They got a couple of, you know, I'm not going to call them lucky. They got a couple of calls go their way on pitches that Walker thought were strikes. They got called balls, and it led to a victory. So... Yeah, I, I'm all in that Jake was a good addition. And Craig Kimbrough, if you go back, he hasn't given up an earned run in a major league game since last August. He was eight appearances last Easy. September, all scoreless, and he hasn't given up a run in seven appearances this year. Pretty darn good. Times it feels like goes from bad to worse for Javi. Ugh. And here's his last five games. He's lost. Three of 19 at the plate, a double, a homer, and 13. Strikeouts in those nineteen at bats. Can you come back from this, or is is this a guy that is lost forever? Uh, I think you can come back because he's proven that he can. He was the guy you're talking about, 2014, mm-hmm. 15, yep. even parts of 16, and then he was the runner-up for MVP. He was a multi-time All-Star. So yes, I do think he could come back from it. However, you realize he's on pace to hit like an insane number of home runs, like 52 homers, 122 <laughs> RBIs, and strike out 313 <laughs> times. Now, again, we played 16 games. I know those numbers will change. It's just bizarre to see where he's at right now. Yeah, no, it really is. Cap, uh, back to Sunday night, it was, um, look, it was, the game was awful. Uh, Atlanta was. Uh, uh, running it up, not running it up, but they were uh, having their say against the Cubs on Sunday Night Baseball. Uh, a lot of criticism came to the announcement of Scarjan and A-Rod, and you know Cap is doing this, uh, play-by-play, etc. In a blowout, it's it's you got to find something to talk about. So they talked about the Cubs roster, and boy, love, uh, A-Rod, I think, said something about it. He'd love to see Rizzo uh, in, a Yankee, uh, in a Yankee uniform uh, with that right field porch uh, hanging out there for him. But they were, they were gutting the roster in, in, for all intents and purposes, and it's going to happen. I think most national crews that make their way at, uh, into Wrigley Field to call a game at some point bring that up. Boy, it sort of seems like Chris Bryant, for everyone, is the odd man out once this thing sorts itself out. Um, maybe. I was told by somebody I trust, and again, I have not asked Chris because we're not you know, around these guys like we used to be, that 
Chris is taking control of his future and not trusting it to Scott Boris. That's what I've been told, that Chris and his wife Jessica have said, you know what, we're going to determine how much money is enough. We're going to determine Hmm. where we sign, and we're not going to be held hostage by, we've got to set the record here for the most money for a third baseman out of Las Vegas. He said, this is what I was told by someone who would know that Chris is calling the shots more than he ever has before. So if that's the case, then maybe he does talk to Jed and say, what's fair? I know I'm not going to get the money that was offered after 2016. What's fair? Can we work something out? If they can't, they'll move him sooner rather than later. But for the Chicago Cubs to say they can't afford to sign whoever it is they want to sign, that is complete and utter BS. They've got a $4 billion asset, $3.7 billion asset. They can afford anyone they want. It's who they want is the question. Let's hop on the L and head to the south side now, to the White Sox, 9-9. And it feels very much like a 500 team, very inconsistent. Saturday, the doubleheader looked great, then it was Sunday. And then what you had on Monday on Patriots Day, it just... One step forward, one step back. Mercedes, who's been incredible, mm-hmm. fouls the ball off his foot last night, Lynn to the IL, just up and down, back and forth. Is that how you characterize at least the start here for the White Sox? Yeah, it's just that one foot up, one foot back. We got this guy injured. We got TA back. We've got waiting on Adam Angle. Now Lance Lynn has this. They just haven't hit their stride yet. I think you could see. It's a really good team. They've got a lot of talent. They've got offensive firepower. They've got a bullpen. They've got starting pitching, and they've got depth to be able to outlast other than like a flurry of injuries. They should be okay. Now, tonight, the game is probably going to be a bullpen game. The weather's cold in Cleveland. Just got to gut through this. Find a way. It's not like you're facing Shane Bieber tonight. Find a way to win a baseball game. That's it. I remember Lou Pinella told me there are days you show up and you know, I got Jake Arrieta on the hill. It's 2015 and no one's touching him. Get me one run and we're winning. And there are other days you show up to the stadium. Guys, the bullpen day, I know this guy's hurt. That guy's banged up. That guy's in a slump. Just find a way. Whatever it takes. Nine to eight, one to nothing, whatever it takes. Find a way to win a baseball game. Hmm. Cap, you know, you mentioned uh, Mercedes, uh, who's on one of the stories in baseball. Can you remember another story like this that, I mean, he's captured, I think, baseball fans' attention. Look, I don't think we'll ever see one, like, like remember Mark Fidrich, Cap? I know you do, and uh, and the whole Fidrich oh, yeah, phenomenon. Um but Mercedes is kind of like this, right? I mean, if you, you, you're aware of your mean Mercedes, even if you're kind of a fringe baseball fan. Who else would be in that? Who else is kind of that uh, in that mold? Well, I mean, don't forget that you had the Cubs face Dwight Gooden when he was a rookie on opening day, and Tuffy Rhodes hit three, three home runs, runs on yeah. Dwight Gooden. Now, we didn't have social media then. We mm-hmm. didn't have baseball tonight. 17 hours a day, seven days a week. Uh, And I'll give you another one, and I know Trent might not remember it. I know you will. Joe Charbonneau. Yeah. Joe Charbonneau, there's a song, you can find (laughs) it, called Go Joe Charbonneau, 
that was like the number one hit song in Cleveland that year. This guy was a rookie who had way better numbers than your mean Mercedes. He was rookie of the year, I believe. He was a superstar in the making and then fell off the table. Injuries and whatever. So, again, it's April 21st. Let's see where your mean Mercedes is in three months. But the story itself, incredibly cool. Indeed. Uh, looks like Luis Robert is coming around, right? His bat was a little slow uh, once they came north, uh, but he's been really good in this last week, Cap. It looks like that slow starts behind him. Yeah, he looks much better. He's always going to be outstanding for you defensively. He has had his ups and downs with the bat. Last year, we start the season, what was it, in July? And all of a sudden, I'm hearing from all these different White Sox fans, forget Rookie of the Year. This guy could be the MVP. I have a buddy of mine who's a Sox fan, my friend John. He calls me. He goes, this guy's going to be better than Mike Trout. And I said, <laughs> John, Mike Trout might be the greatest player in the history of the sport. You're the same guy that didn't want to pump the brakes on Gordon Beckham when he was a rookie. Relax. And then, of course, Scotty reports catch up, and he struggles the last six weeks of the season. We just got to let this young kid out of Cuba develop, play. He'll give you a great, great effort. Defensively, he can run the bases. He just got a few holes in his swing. But you're right. He does look like he's coming around. Talking with David Kaplan from Chicago, presented by Centurion Stone of Iowa. Cap, want to jump into some hoops. The Bulls watched a little bit here over the last few weeks as I'm slowly dipping my toe into the NBA waters after college basketball finishes up. They're clinging to that 10 spot. You say, well, who cares about the 10 spot? This year you do. That matters now with the uh, new playoff format. First, your thoughts on the new playoff format and what you've seen lately out of this Bulls team. So they had a really good win at Boston the other night. They had lost six consecutive times in Boston. And they don't have Zach Levine, who's out with the health and safety protocols. He tested positive for COVID-19. Look, um, you know, I told you guys, I love the deal that brought Nikola Vucevic here. He was really good the other night. He had 29 points. Patrick Williams, I thought, has hit the rookie wall a bit. But their defensive effort has been much, much better. They've got to continue to be better. Daniel Tice coming over from the Celtics uh, deadline day, that has been a big upgrade in their interior defense. So that has made things better. Patrick Williams maybe struggling offensively. His long arms, his strength, his youth allows him to be a big-time defender out on the perimeter. So the Bulls are not where they need to be. Do they get the 10 spot, maybe find their way into the playoffs then if they win that playing game and they end up the 8th seed playing number one? I personally don't want them to make the playoffs. Everyone says, well, they need the experience. I, I, I think it's vastly overrated. A lot of this team's not going to be here in the next year. I think they're going to get rid of a lot of guys. They're overhauling the roster. So their playoff experience, whatever, doesn't mean a lot to me. I know they traded their number one pick, but it's top four protected. Mm. What that means is if the lot, if they don't make the playoffs, they end up in the lottery, and the lottery ball comes up Chicago, one, two, three, or four, they keep it and they give the pick next year. So I'd much rather – Roll the dice, get in the lottery. Maybe I get lucky. Last year they moved up to number four. And maybe, just maybe, that's where I find my point guard. And if you do that, Kate Cunningham, Jalen Suggs, Oof. now I can take the cap room 
and add another star. So I'd rather roll the dice there. I'm with you. I think T-Wolves are in the same boat. They're 1-2-3 protected, so the Bulls go one step further than that. Cap, will end it on this. Uh, we're a week and a day away from the first round of the NFL draft. The Bears are at 20. What are you hearing? Do they stay there, Cap? Do they look to move back? Who have they got their eye on? I think there's a chance, just a chance. I don't see them trading 64 draft picks to go up to number four to get the fourth-ranked quarterback in the draft because it's Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, and then whoever the 49ers take. A lot of people think it's Mac Jones. I can't believe they traded three number one picks for Mac Jones. I just don't see it. Maybe I'll be proven wrong. But I do think if the right quarterback, who that is, Trey Lance, Mac Jones later in the first round, um, Fields. Who's the other guy I'm thinking? Justin Fields. Uh, Justin Fields. Whichever guy is still sitting there potentially at 10, 11, and all of a sudden they can make a reasonable deal, then I think there's a chance they could move up. If not, I wouldn't be surprised to see them trade back. Good stuff, Cap. We will talk to you uh, in a week, and maybe we'll have more clarity on what they're doing at that time. Great stuff, Cap. We appreciate it. We'll talk to you uh, next Wednesday. I look forward to it. As... Next week I'll be in Florida, so call me. I'll bring you some warm weather. Nice. What are you going to be doing down there? Just vacation and getting away? Getting away with my wife. I went on vacation rental by owner. I found a little house. There we go. Nice Give you. Give me warm weather and sunshine. Good stuff, Cap. Thanks, bud. We'll talk to you next week. Appreciate it. Yeah, David Kaplan, Centurion Stone of Iowa makes it possible for us to speak with Cappy on a uh, weekly basis. Centurion Stone of Iowa serving Iowa, Nebraska, metro areas, beautiful stone veneer products. Uh, you can see a lot of them online, centurionstoneofiowa.com. They're all in the showroom. You'll be glad you stopped by. I'll let you know where that is. But in case you are in the market for you know, manufactured stone products, stone veneer, uh, over 200 different color and pattern combinations, not just the outside of the house, but maybe the uh, the rec room, uh, the family room, you got a fireplace, you want to upgrade that, make that look, brighten it up a little bit, spruce it up a little bit, bump up the value uh, a little bit. Centurion Stone of Iowa will check each and every one of those boxes. The showroom's located at 5525 Northeast 22nd Street here in Des Moines, 5525 Northeast 22nd Street in Des Moines, or visit them online, Centurion Stone of Iowa. Dot com. Thank you, Joe Farron. Uh, thank you, Justin Luch. Thank you to everybody over at Centurion Stone of Iowa right now. Oh, by the way, you know what? Before yeah. we give the uh, the key word, yeah. you're, did you, do you like the new NBA playoff format? I really do. I think so. Do you know how it works? So the, the eight versus the nine. Who? Uh, the beg your pardon. The seven versus the eight. Winner of that game is the automatic seven. Automatic seven. in. Eight waits for the winner of nine versus ten. Loser home. Mm-hmm. Winner plays the loser of that first game for the opportunity to play, well, the Sixers right now if you're in the East. We uh, saw, what, about a week ago, Luka Doncic was not happy about it. And then Mark Cuban suddenly changed his tune and said... So what are they beefing about? I didn't well, see Well, you this. play normally 82 games this year, 72, uh-huh. and it could be over in a... Drop of a hat, just like that. You, you're the number seven seed. Feel like you're pretty locked in. Lose two games and you're out, just like that. I don't have a big problem with it though. I look, look at it. It's like the wild card in baseball. It's fantastic. Mm-hmm. 
you know that that um, well before you get to the wild card that one game, I I love it. I really do. It's it's um, pressure. It's winner go home. Going back to last year, that Memphis. Who did Memphis play in that oh, game? Oh boy, you're asking the wrong guy. But I remember we were on vacation. We were in Colorado at the time. But watching that game, and you could see Ja just how important that game yeah. meant to him, and he was so good. And it was one. It was the NCAA tournament. Mm. Yeah, it's not a big bracket, but. Those scenarios. We love Game 7s. Well, this is, for all intents and purposes, like a Game 7. Yeah. Is it manufactured? Yes. Mm-hmm. Who cares? Right. If it's content. Gonna, yeah. We're going to get a compelling game about it. We're going to be talking about a random Bulls-Hornets game. Not, okay. Uh, no, that night we will. But right. <laughs> right. Because we will. We're not going to do it. Uh-uh. And we probably wouldn't do it for Game 2. Of a first round series, either probably not, but something like that. I like it. We'll be in. I like it. It's time for uh, to hit another thousand dollar home run. Enter the keyword joy at kxno.com for your chance to win a thousand dollars. That's joy at kxno.com. We'll be back with Matt Norlander. Uh, he will join us. We'll talk college hoops with CBSSports.com's one of their primary hoops columnists, Matt Norlander. Next, Miller and Condon till noon, fourteen sixty KX and Owen one hundred. You can see it, picture it, the building you've always wanted, an expansion of your existing business, a new retail center where your growth really begins to take off. You've got the vision, but now what? Now you connect with Graphite Construction Group. Formerly Roshan Corporation of Iowa, Graphite Construction Group is the partner you want to match your vision. From the moment you first connect to long after the build is complete, nobody does it better than Graphite Construction Group. See why at Graphite GM for podcasting. This is Heather, and I'm raising money to fight blood cancers with the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society's Woman of the Year campaign. But this isn't about me. It's about funding research to end this deadly disease. I couldn't do it without your donations. And thank you to the many businesses stepping up, like Golden Rule Plumbing, Heating, and Cooling, always looking to give back, and their team member, Melissa, is my team captain. To donate, go to the Morning Rush blog at kxno.com or Heather's blog at thebusfm.com. We will fight blood cancer together. Built by Graphite Construction Group. Masvidal and Usman put on a show the last time they stepped into the octagon. Round two is sure to pack a punch. DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of UFC, is putting you in the center of this weekend's title fight with 26 to 1 odds on either title contender to reign victorious. Pick either main event fighter to win this weekend's UFC 261 title fight and DraftKings Sportsbook will give you 26 to 1 odds. Just bet $5 on either fighter to win and if they walk out with the belt, you win $130 in free bets. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code KXNO when you sign up to turn $5 into $130 in free bets. If the contender of your choice wins, that's code KXNO to turn $5 into $130 in free bets if the fighter of your choosing takes home the crown. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Iowa only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call Ken Miller, Trent Condon, Miller and Condon on 1460 KXNO. And now on 106.3 FM, this is KXNO. 
right, just past 11.30, welcome back. Miller and Condon, 1460 KXNO, 106.3 on the FM dial. We take you until noon, as promised. Uh, Going to get into some college basketball. Transfer portal is wide open. There's a lot of folks that have covered college basketball for a long time, Dickie V, uh, who really do not think that this is uh, going to work. In fact, is um, waving flag after flag and trying to get the NCAA compliance folks get their attention because there's tampering going on, according to Dick Vitale. Like, this is the first time it's ever <laughs> happened. Matt Norlander, CBSSports.com, he joins the program. Hello, Matt. Trenton Ken, how are are you? I'm just uh, I'm sitting here reeling over the thought that tampering is actually happening in college basketball. How can we even go on? Can you believe it? I mean, it's just this is brand new this week, apparently, Matt. Yeah, this is obviously nothing remotely new. Uh, you know, Dick Vitale is you know he's one of the biggest ambassadors to the sport. So when he says Absolutely. something, his tweets get amplified and responded to even more. But uh, there's nothing to suggest that tampering is more prominent now than it was five years ago or 15 years ago. The numbers of transfers go up, sure. And so uh, because of that, uh, this is going to get more noise. But, you know, it's it's an interesting topic in that you will have coaches that will gripe off record about, you know, circumstances where they think it could have happened. And I've had, had two coaches at this point tell me, off record, you know, they've had players, active players that are intending to return and play for the next season. Sorry for my dog. Uh, <laughs> you know, they've had family members that have been approached by, you know, assistant coaches on other schools. And so it, it's happening, but not much you can do to stop it, you know? Yeah, I'm with you. There are concerns that this is going to be something that, for all intents and purposes, ruin college basketball. I, I remember what it was six, seven years ago when it was about full cost of scholarship, that was going to ruin college sports. And do you go down that road that, yeah, things are going to change, but this is going to be a huge detriment to college basketball, college football in general? Um, you know, in some ways it is, just because I don't think it's deniable that in 1997, when you had guys staying on rosters for three or four seasons for the most part and not transferring. Transferring did happen, by, by the way, back then. But you might have had, geez, you might have had 60 guys transfer in a season. Um, it was just more identifiable, so I get all that. So, you know, it's not great that you could have all this change, but it is a little overstated um, because, you know, we see the television numbers, mm-hmm. alumni bases. I mean, college basketball fan base is in the tens of millions so so that's not changing uh it's just it doesn't help when you go into a season and if you are the kind of person who likes college basketball doesn't love it but you're like yeah you know what i'll watch watch the champions classic you know kentucky kansas michigan state duke first night of the season i'll watch that maybe you'll catch me watch a little maui and then once we get past NFL playoffs, then I'll you know I'll start mm. checking in on you know that kind of fan, if you will. Um, they're not able to follow as much. There might be some a little bit of trickle down in terms of overall popularity of the sport, but it's not killing college basketball. It won't kill college basketball. In fact, we're probably in what will ultimately be like. I think we'll look back in twenty years, and the year twenty twenty one will be the apex for transfers in terms of pure volume. As I talk to you right now. There are 1,486 players in the transfer portal. I know that because I'm literally 
looking at the transfer portal. That number is going to get to a couple coaches in the past week or so. There's going to be another wave in May because players need some players before they hit this portal. They need to make sure their grades are good. So there are players right now across the country that know they're leaving. They know they might not have told their coaches, uh, but they know they're not going to return. And it's just a matter of uh, getting their grades good. So you'll have another one to 200 players in May and June that put their name in the portal. So we'll probably, you know, we'll probably get around between 1,700 and 1,800 players in the transfer portal by July. That would be my guess. And because we have the bonus here because of the pandemic, and you have the first-time transfer uh, exemption, which is going to actually technically be made official next week. It's been approved, but it has to be ratified by the Board of Governors. So that's technically not a rule yet. It will be next week. All these combining factors are leading to more transfers in one year than we've ever had before. Um, and I don't think it's going to be ever this high again. I don't ever think it's going to be lower than, say, 1,000 in a given year. But last year, we had 1,029. 2018, 19, we had 1,065. We'll probably be between that 1,000 and 12 to 1,300 mark going forward in perpetuity. It's not great. Isn't this? Players deserve the, the right to transfer at their leisure. Mm-hmm. And I just think this is uh, a, you know, a complement of factors that are, that's going to lead to the most change over year over year that we've ever seen and probably will ever see in college basketball. Mm-hmm. My, my only, not knock, because I think kids should be able to go where they want. My only concern, maybe put it that way, like a program like Drake, right? Yesifu bursts onto the national scene. Now he's at Kansas. Liam Robbins, the year before that, uh, f- figures out the game of basketball and goes to Minnesota. Of course, now he's at Vanderbilt. Um, it, it's the it's the kind of the, the mid-majors, the smaller schools, but um, they've found a way to survive this. It's not like this year is going to be different, but you know, Yesifu is an example. I want to ask you this, uh, Matt. I, I enjoyed your piece, and I'm glad you do it differently, grading the best and worst co- the best and wor- worst coaching hires but you don't do it on a year basis like you won't look back at the all the newcomers in the big 12 and 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 rank them you go back to the first recruiting cycle has come and gone before you form your opinion which is really good but i'm gonna ask you to step out of the box uh potter morser and uh and and tj otzelberger yeah i get chris beards at texas we know he can flat out coach and texas is going to be a major major pain uh for the other nine schools in the big 12 but moser at oklahoma and then tj otzelberger at iowa state who's already bringing in a whole new bunch of uh a bunch of players uh we know he can recruit and he's living up to that how about those two sure yeah yeah so you're just referring to the fact that i had a story uh went up yesterday yep I grade the hires four years after they get hired because that's really the way that it should be done. I, I agree. And if guys get hired, you have an in- there's an instinct to grade the hire. But as I write in the piece, the actual uh, process of grading requires submission of work, and these coaches haven't haven't provided that yet. So it's just a it's a little bit of a different twist. I actually think we should do it, um, you know, in NFL and NBA draft stuff too. Three four years after players get picked, and maybe some someone out there does that. But I've never seen the concept before. But yeah, I do that every year. So ask your question directly. With Moser and Otzelberger, um, Moser. We'll go Moser first at Oklahoma. Uh, he is he's making good immediate gains with roster stuff, which is nice. Um, I, I think he's got a shot to do well there. He's a super interesting candidate, though, because of a couple of reasons. One, uh, <laughs> this is just my projection and kind of reading the landscape of college basketball sliding door situation. I think if I believe that if Loyola had not defeated Illinois and if Texas had not lost to Abilene Christian, that Porter Moser would be the head coach at Marquette right now. Because I know Marquette targeted him. I know he, he coveted that job as well. I mean, Moser has been on the record with me in the past about 
why he loved Loyola so much, but why there was a feeling, when, especially when it came to scheduling, and that was one of his biggest um, gripes, and understandably so. He couldn't get power conference teams to play him uh, the way that he wanted to. So I think he would have been an amazing fit at Marquette. I think he can be nearly as good of a fit at Oklahoma. I also take the athletic director into account. Joe Castiglione's not yet made a bad hire uh, in any of the three big sports at that university, men's and women's basketball, and um, and obviously football there. So he's got a shot. The league is tough, which you have to take into account. Kansas is going to be handcuffed, I think, in the coming years. Okay, but it'll still be Kansas, so, and Bill Self will probably still be there. So you got that. You've got a national championship winning coach in Scott Drew. You've got a coach in, at, with Beard at Texas now. I mean, come on. <laughs> Just uh, and, and and Moser has uh, he has some good in-state competition with Mike Boynton, who um, who got a new deal, and he seems to have that going in the right direction as well. Uh, the bottom of the league, like we'll see. I'll, I'll get to TJ in just a second here, but the, when you look at the rest of the league, there Huggins still kind of into the West Virginia. That'll be a little tough to go and go up against him. And then we wait and see at Mark Adams at Texas Tech. TCU is expected to be the worst team in the league next season. Kansas State is actually supposed to be better, but if you told me Bruce Weber opted to retire in the next two years, it would not stun me. And then you've got Iowa State with Altsburger. So Moser actually, the Big 12 is a good league, but I actually think his entry point is solid here. Don't forget, though, he was a he was a career sub 500 coach until the year that Loyola made the Final Four. In the past four years, he's completely turned his career around, and he's no young pup. Uh, he's entering uh, his mid 50s there, or you know, I don't want to age him too much. He's 52, going on 53. So. Uh, those are my thoughts on Moser. As for Otzelberger, um, he knows the program. He's been an assistant there, as you guys well know. Iowa State was just randomly brutal. I actually believe they went 2-22 and last season, guys. I think that Steve Prohm would still have his job if instead of going, what was 0-19 against Big 12 teams, if you put even like four wins in that, I, I do think that not winning a game is what what made it have to happen. Uh, I don't think that the AD wanted to. I don't think Jamie Pollard wanted to get rid of Steve Prome. Uh, it was so bad he had no choice. And so, with a ton of turnover, I think Alsterberg actually can thrive in the situation. I got to be fair though. He was not good at UNLV, but he only was only there two years. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. He was really good at South Dakota State, and he's been proven as an assistant well to this point that he knows what he's doing there. Um, I think he's got a. I think he's got a little bit of a better shot at being successful than Mosier at Oklahoma. But as I said in my column earlier this week, you know, we need to permanently be out of the business of uh, universally declaring <laughs> hires, you know, 99% chance of being great and 99% chance of being terrible. Because uh, it's just, it, there are too many factors that can, that can frankly factor in. I think they're both quality hires, but I wouldn't define either one as like, you know, just absolute home run. I'm, I'm, I don't think I'm ever doing that again. It's, it's not. It's not worthy. You can be wrong. I went to Archie Miller didn't work out at Indiana. Yeah. Uh, I think I'm off that train. I was right there with you. I thought that was an automatic. This is going to restore Indiana basketball. And here he is four years later without a job. All right, let's uh, let's go from there and finish with the team playing for a title, still trying to break down the door. And our neighbors to the north. Send another man to Gonzaga. This time it is Chet Holmgren. If you haven't seen the highlights of the 7-1 center, he's a shot blocker, as you'd imagine. Piss skinny. I mean, the guy, there's nothing to him. Rail thin at 190 pounds. But he can handle the ball. He can shoot it from the outside. Why Gonzaga now? Why Jalen Suggs? Why Chet Holmgren? Why not go play 
in the Big Ten, the ACC, the SEC. Why the WCC and Gonzaga? Well, I mean, at a certain point, uh, you know, Gonzaga makes the title game in 2017, okay? So it finally breaks through to a Final Four in 2017 with Nigel Williams-Goss, Zach Collins, Josh Perkins, that team. And that's when uh, – now, Zach Collins was their highest-rated recruit up to that point. So but Zach Collins, you know, is a top 50 guy, top 40 guy, picking them I think was significant. And then they continue to just be awesome. They make the tournament every – like, you have a guarantee. Here's the thing. The only – Two other schools now that can technically say this as fact uh, and be with Gonzaga are Kansas and, and Michigan State. It's If you come here, you will make the NCAA tournament. We guarantee it. Those are the only three schools that have made every single NCAA tournament since the turn of the century. Duke was in that group until this past season there. Um, so they're really, if you want to throw Duke in that mix, Kentucky's now missed it twice under Cal. I mean, they're really uh, – Carolina missed it. Uh, or it would have missed it last year under Roy Williams. It previously was uh, had a terrible year, a terrible little stretch under Matt Doherty. There just aren't a lot of schools where you can both guarantee you will be nationally relevant, you will play in the NCAA tournament, and you've got a great chance of playing deep. Because Zaga has the longest Sweet 16 run of any program in the country. It's made six straight, seven straight Sweet 16s. Uh, that's the longest uh, of any program there. So you throw all those things in, plus, you know, as to Holmgren specifically, he played high school ball with Jalen Suggs. Doug's went to uh, – um, the answers to this are, are never quite simple. So I think part of it is this. Jalen Sugg, uh, as some of your listeners well know, was an elite high school quarterback prospect. Mm-hmm. Like He would have played at a top 25 program if he wanted to play football. He didn't. He wanted to play basketball. And he went to Gonzaga in no small part because it did not have a football program. <laughs> he has said he did not want to be tempted and even have that option. Gonzaga was weirdly positioned as a school that does not offer football at any level. And so because of that, it actually made Gonzaga more appealing to mm. Suggs. And because Suggs played with Holmgren in high school, well, of course, you can see the influence there. Um, if, if anything, Holmgren could look at, like, Gonzaga to play real opponents next season. I think it's got Duke and Vegas, and I don't have its non-conference schedule in front of me. It's supposed to play Arizona. I wonder if that's still going to happen now that Gonzaga's uh, former assistant Tommy Lloyd is the head coach at Arizona. Um, I wonder if they're going to continue to play that game or not. I don't, I don't know if Mark Few would do that or not. But anyway, they're going to play some good non-conference opponents. But if you're Holmgren and, you know, you are as skinny as skinny gets, um, you know, would you f- feel like maybe it'll help you to play WCC competition for what will amount to, it really, at the end of the day, when you consider NCAA tournament stuff, it'll add not to 50% of your schedule because Gonzaga will play more power conference opponents in the tournament and all that stuff, maybe about 55% of your schedule. That could have also had an impact there as well. And Gonzaga's now, I mean, you look up in the league, Gonzaga's got, I don't have it in front of me, guys. I would guess Gonzaga alumni in the NBA right now is closing in on like 10 guys at this point. So proven track record, sending guys to the NBA, Suggs will be a high draft pick. Holmgren's a completely different player. But those are factors that went into him picking Zach. Good stuff, Matt Norlander. Thanks for doing this for us. We appreciate it. Uh, we'll talk to you down the road. Hey, I, I I rambled. We didn't even get to see Jeff Frederick. That's my bad. But you guys have a you guys have. <laughs> well, a well, give us okay? give us your th- thirty seconds. Give us your opinion on that. I have no i I have no idea whether or not anyone was tampered with with that. Uh, this is the reality of it. Yep. And it will certainly make for high drama. I think Iowa, in general, it's it's going to be a man. I, Fran has just one of the bigger challenges of his career next season because they were so good 
and it's so frustrating to end your season before a Sweet 16. And now, I mean, the goal needs to be to make the NCAA tournament next year if you're Iowa, and not having Frederick is it's obviously a problem. They will have uh, they will have some real rebuilding to do with that. And if and when Frederick does indeed decide to play Kentucky next year, then we will have one of the more, you know, one of the juicier, this is totally within college basketball, but one of the juicier storylines of the early offseason because of all this. Um, But I can't speak to any info as to whether or not, like, there was actual tampering going on with that. Apparently an uncle on Facebook said no, so that doesn't matter. (laughs) Uh, It's been great for business, we'll put it that way. (laughs) Matt Norlander, thanks uh, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. We'll see you. Better. Good to talk to you. Matt Norlander, CBSSports.com, as we catch up on college basketball. All right, uh, we'll take a time out. We'll catch up on who Trent likes. A lot of day games today. Majority of MLB is during the day. Miller and Condon, 1460. KX and Owen. 6th Street and Clyde. So final couple of minutes here of a Wednesday. Miller and Condon, 1460 KXNO and 106.3 on the FM dial. So yesterday, did you tread water? Yeah, it wasn't good. Losing day yesterday? I played a lot. T-Wolves actually won a game. They looked great in the fourth quarter. Did they? Uh, won some money on the A's. Laid one and a half in game one, so mm-hmm. that one helped out. Boy, those A's are playing well. My gosh. Ten in a row Jesus. now for Oakland. Um I told you it didn't like Patrick Corbin. He pitched really well yesterday. <laughs> it was one of those days. We bounced back, though. Wainwright pitched better. Yes, he did. You know, I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but if you can't score a run, you can't win in baseball. It's, just, it's impossible. Choice. It's tough, yeah. I'm uh, going to go against that team that didn't score a run yesterday. The Twins? In 14 innings of baseball. Give me Oakland against Kente Maeda. I will take the A's and lay the minus 115. Oh, well, I don't know. I kind of think it's the Twins. Those bats got to wake up sooner rather than later. And the A's are a great story. but um, Ten in a row. Never mm-hmm. bet against a streak. Isn't that a thing? I guess. Maybe. Uh, Cubs today. Who pitches for the Cubbies today? Do you know? Zach Davies. Does that get you fired up? I'll, be, I'll watch it. It's one of the few night games. It is. One of the few night games here today. A lot of day baseball. All right, Murph and Andy in an hour and five minutes. The Fanatics coming up at three. Tomorrow morning, Morning Rush kicks off another day of local programming. They start at six. We're Miller and Con, and we man the uh, 10 to noon shift on Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO, 106.3 FM.